This is episode 7 with Juan Paolo of the Entrepreneur's Tribe podcast. We interview some of the most brilliant minds in business and entrepreneurship so you can learn how to maintain success, enjoy its rewards and take it to the next level. Together, we break down all of the myths, legends, struggles and insights behind what it takes for you to join this tribe of successful entrepreneurs to grow and stay ahead of the pack. I'm your host, Joel Ong of the Entrepreneur's Tribe Podcast, and welcome to the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Entrepreneur's Tribe Podcast. My name is Joel Ong, and I'm the founder of Video Strategies here at Tip Your Time, and we are a video strategy agency that helps businesses to solve their three biggest problems in time, in money, and relationships, and we do this by building video solutions and assets for their business so um, without further ado you know today's guest is uh, a dear friend of mine and you know he's very very hilarious funny guy um, his name is Juan Paulo and Juan is the head of partnerships at Shiu which is a startup that runs the leading analytics platform for LinkedIn that powers growth hackers content creators and brands to create more successful content to scale faster and Xiu has processed more than 200 million views across 300,000 LinkedIn posts from thousands of users on their platform, with a total of over 250 billion data points across the entire user base and LinkedIn activity. So, you know, Juan is a super, super passionate guy about what he does. And we are super fortunate to have him on this show with us today um, to tell us more about LinkedIn and content creation on LinkedIn. Because, um, you know, if you're listening to this and you run your own business or, you know, you're looking for jobs on LinkedIn, you're executive on LinkedIn, you're definitely going to have to use LinkedIn at some point in time. And so I think this episode is going to really value at you because he's going to go into details, you know, on things like content, um, how to let a content mature, which is an interesting concept because it's similar to how you let wine mature uh, so that it becomes better. Um, he talks about how you can possibly uh, grow your brand further uh, by being personal. We go into detail about connections, you know, how do connections work on LinkedIn, uh, what should you pay attention to when you're making connections, accepting connection requests. Um, you know, after seeing so much data about LinkedIn and posts from all their users, I think you'll find a lot of the insights that Juan talks about very valuable. Um, also, I asked him about hashtags and content posting on LinkedIn, right? Um, how do you stand out? Because if you're looking to be the one percenters online, if you're looking for a media presence, because frankly, today's world, if you are not online, if you're not receiving the attention online, it doesn't matter what product or service you have and how great it is. Because like the one of the previous guests, Dawn said, you know, it doesn't matter that you have a great product because if people don't know who you are, they can't get excited about it. And so therefore, um, LinkedIn is a great platform because it's already curated. It's meant for professionals and uh, people to network on that platform, specifically of our business. So you're going to find a lot of value from it. You know, we go into details like, should you use specific hashtags? Um, should you use hashtags like Instagram? You know, uh, what style and type of content should you create? Uh, is it audio? Is it text? Is it video? Um, uh, how long those videos are? You know, what should you do when you're testing it? How should you be getting feedback from people? And yeah, we really go into a lot of a lot of details on it. So I think this episode is going to be a really tactical as episode for you if you're looking at specific strategies, tactics, and methods that you can use in your own business right now or on your LinkedIn profile so that you can grow your influence and presence online. Now, if you like this episode, please do leave a review wherever you're listening on, whether it be Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Anchor. Um, just please leave us a review because it really helps us and we greatly appreciate it. It's going to allow us to get more feedback like what Juan recommends so that we can create better curated content for you. So without further ado, let's jump into the show. So Juan, um, what made you do what you do today? Um, I think that... It, we, we need to take risks, right? And we get used to communicating in a, in a very straightforward manner. And we tend to do what comes natural to us. So this is a new way of exploring how to communicate with our audience, how to better um, express what we're doing here in this exciting startup. And 
I think it's a, it's an interesting like it's jumping from a cliff and taking a, a chance. So I, I, I jumped into the opportunity immediately and I felt that there was a good connection between you and I the first time we spoke and, and definitely it, it could be a very straightforward and, and, and interesting talk between the both of us. So that's the main reason why I decided to do it. Cool, cool. I mean, um, what, about, what about your job? I mean, um, how did you end up at SHU? All the way. <laughs> okay, so I'm Colombian and I have, I don't know, I would say nine, ten years of work experience. Prior to this, I was I worked in corporate banking. I'm an industrial engineer by, by degree. Then I managed my family's company, but then I was chasing a Swedish woman. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I had a Swedish ex-girlfriend with whom I was with for three years. Then um, things of life, I ended up in Scandinavia studying a master program. And then one thing led to another, uh, another, and a friend of mine who was working for the Copenhagen School of Entrepreneurship, she told me that there was this exciting startup, two very smart guys, um, just the two of them, um, they had a product. And I immediately asked her, like, okay, um, do they have paying customers? Because for me, that's a very strong sign of, of an MVP. And she said, yes, they do have some customers right now, and, and they're looking for someone to jump on board. And I told her, okay set up a meeting with them. I, I wish to know them. I, I want to see if there's chemistry between um, them and I. So immediately she set up a, a meeting with Andreas and myself, Andreas, the CEO. And we were supposed to meet for like 20 minutes and we ended up talking for like an hour and there was huge empathy between both of us. And I remember there was a, a point in the conversation in which he said, listen, man, how can I convince you to work with us? <laughs> and, I, and I said, like, you don't need to convince me on, on anything. Like, I'm totally sold. Uh, just let me know when to begin and I'm willing to just work. And later on, we followed through that first meeting. Uh, we followed up on it by meeting with Alex, the CTO. And so it was the three of us. And I told him, listen, I'm here to provide value and to prove my worth before I start demanding anything of you. I know what a early age startup, early stage startup requires, and and I know what it's like to have to manage people, especially when they don't have the proper skill set. So I'm willing to just prove my worth. You don't need to pay me anything. We'll negotiate later. First, I will provide value, and I will prove my worth to you guys. And we just click the three of us, and we get along extremely well. And and the longer that I'm here, and the the more I learn from them, and the more I admire their, their, their efforts and, and all they have built by themselves. Because, you know, right now, and this will get me into a, a topic that we will probably discuss later. Um, everything has been done organically. Everything has been done with their sweat and tears, basically. And it's not like the entrepreneurial porn, as my friend Ronald Richards says. Um, it's not about just getting a ton of funding. It's about actually proving an MVP and going step by step. And I really admire that. So that's in, in a very summarized way how I ended up here. Awesome. So not like uh, the, the one of those tech unicorns, but like three musketeers then? <laughs> <laughs> More or less. Yes, yes, yes. Although there's nothing wrong with, with tech unicorns. I know personally uh, a founder of, of, of a, a tech unicorn back home in Colombia. And I know how much effort that requires. And, and it's just like, it's insane. It's a whole new playing field it's it's a different it's a totally different game so it's it's just that yeah it's just different there's no good or bad it's just different yeah i mean awesome um i i heard this before from um another another guy who runs like a vc firm mm -hmm. uh, based in africa and he he talked about um four different types of businesses really uh in in the startup sense um you, you know you have your lifestyle business and then uh, that's the first one where um, it's pretty, you're not looking to scale that much. You're happy, you know, pretty much like um, it's supporting your lifestyle. And that's, you know, you know usually sometimes the reason why um, some entrepreneurs start their own businesses. I mean, that's, that's probably the reason why I started years back because um, I wanted to find a lifestyle. So that's yep. one. And then um, the next stage is like uh, businesses that are, meant to pass on to the future generations. So, you know, sort of like the Jewish style of kind of businesses where 
um, you know, they own the the bakery store, then the brother owns the the clothing store, and then the mm-hmm. the dad owns you know something else on, and then sooner or later, after a few generations, they own the whole block or they own the whole street. So you know, those kind of uh, businesses are built for for legacy. So then you have the third kind of businesses that are like built for built to sell. You know, they're built for value. So these are, I think, uh, more like the you know the unicorns that we are speaking about, where you know every single metric then is to be optimized and eventually you're looking to sell it so you want to um, preserve as much value in the company as possible while keeping it as lean as possible so um, you know those are really guys who are looking to exit really Uh, so those are the third stage of businesses and last but not least he's talking about the fourth kind which is the hardest uh, businesses that are built with a vision or they're more visionary style of businesses. So these are like your rare companies like, you know, Apple, Google, Microsoft, stuff like that, where, you know, they are, they are, uh, it doesn't fall into those three categories, but really they are looking at how can I completely reshape a certain industry uh, with a vision that I have and change the whole, the whole landscape of things entirely. Um, and, and those are what will create mammals. So I think it's quite a nice summary of, you know, the style and types of businesses that are there. Absolutely. And, 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 but I also think that they're not mutually exclusive, if you know what I mean. I think that as a business mm-hmm. owner, if you start anything, you need to be, that's part of like any entrepreneur's DNA. You need to be open to discuss any of the four um, types of businesses that you just mentioned. So what do I mean by this? Um, I, I, I come from, or, or my family's company or business. It's a legacy business, as you just mentioned. Um, but I also need to be very aware that times change. And, and if it's convenient for me to sell it at an X point, I, I will sell it, of course, especially if I feel that the, the, the company is going to last longer in the hands of third parties rather, rather than within the family. So it's, it requires, I think that it, it all sums up to, to wrestling your own ego. So there's a lot of ego behind entrepreneurship. And, and many times um, when you see these long-term entrepreneurs, these people, these old 70-year-olds that have built a company from the ground up with thousands of employees, it's very difficult for them to leave the company behind because the company defines them as a human being, right? Uh, so, and they lose sight of, of what it requ- it's what is required for the company to progress and keep growing. So in that sense, it, it would require like growth and scaling up and also like having a unicorn type of mentality in order for the company to reinvent itself. So it, what I mean by all of this, all of this mumbo jumbo of mine is that entrepreneurs need to be very open to whatever. So for example, in Shield right now, we have no idea where this might end in two or three years from now. We know that we're a talented group and that we're willing to work underneath a bridge if we have to. And we're able to create and we trust our skills. Everyone's in their own specialty and their own like arena. So for example, Alex, he's the CTO, he's the technical mastermind. He's just like brilliant. He's a full stack developer. He's a technician. He likes apparatuses. He likes systems. He makes them work. Andreas is the academic, he's the strategical guy. He's like, well, he's like the, the, the broader insight of the whole mm-hmm. thing, right? So he, he's always thinking three steps ahead. He's the chess player, let's call it that way. And then here I am, you know, the, the <laughs> I, I, I'm the one who puts in the spice and I'm joking around the whole day, but I'm the one who makes the connections between people. And that I bring the closeness to the warmth, to, to, to the creation, to the idea, to the strategy. So in the end, we trust our skill set and we, we are open to whatever this might morph into. So right now it's LinkedIn analytics. Right now it's providing um, value to content creators, to content marketers. But maybe three, four or five years from now, we might have a different venture because we know that as a team, we, we're able to create something interesting. Of course, life goes around so many ways we never know it's impossible to predict the future but if we have to go for an early stage exit so for an early yeah for an early exit we'll do it if we have to build a legacy company we'll build it we'll just do whatever feels appropriate in that specific moment in time right right i mean you said quite a few things that i want to you know tap into and go into detail um before we move to the 
to the other aspects, you know, like Shu, what Shu does, um, content creation and stuff like that. I just want to know, you know, um, a lot of times I think that one of some of these, uh, some of these founders, um, the ego comes up because, and, and the problem is that, you know, they don't even know that he's there. Like there's some times where you don't even know that you are acting out or you're not yourself, so to speak, or you're not, um, you're not seeing things as clearly as you should. Um, so for you, what is one or two things that you do to, Make sure that you check your ego at the door. Ego is very important for a startup. Ego is extremely important because it gives you that blind belief in yourself. And it allows you to break walls and boundaries and and go over hurdles that come along the way. And so so for starters, I wanna I wanna clear that up. I feel that ego mm-hmm. is extremely necessary, especially at the early stages. Um but how do we keep it a check? I think it's important to have partners who are willing to challenge your point of view. Because it, there's when you go into this, I don't know if you heard about it, but it's the Enneagram type of personalities, right? So the theory mm-hmm. behind the Enneagram is that there's nine types of personalities. And then there's the type three that's generally, or the type eight, who generally are the leaders of companies. Then there's a type six, like myself, I'm more like loyalist, I like to form bonds, I like to create these strong bonds, but I also like, I can be very rebellious at times. And then there's a Mm. type five, like, like Alex, for example, he's a very technical. So, and the way we keep ego at bay is that we, we are able to say things to each other faces when we feel that we're not doing things appropriately. So we know that the company comes first. The company is more important than any of the founders or any of the members of it. So it's an organism that must be able to be to rely on itself rather than on individuals. So basically, um, very straightforward and honest channels of communication. I would say that's the most important way that we keep the ego at bay. And secondly, I, I also believe that it's by having tasks to each one of our own levels or, or areas of expertise. So if I'm better at dealing with certain type of people or dealing with customers, then that's my lane. Don't get into my lane because that my, that's where I excel. Um, if it's like me telling Alex, Hey, no, you're not doing a good, a good job programming here. Or it's me telling Andreas like, Oh, the UI UX sucks. No, no, no. I, I need to be respectful because they, they are experts at their own craft They're and they're the, they're the masterminds behind that, as I am when, when it comes to dealing with customers and people. So I, having open channels of communication and honesty, and then knowing what each, each member of the group excels at. So there's a lot of respect in it. So honesty and respect for sure is the best way to keep ego at bay. But also knowing that ego is vital for growing a company. Right. Awesome. I mean, how did you guys come up with the idea of Washu? I mean, uh, I understand you joined in later, but, you know, how did you guys, uh, you know, what's the process like of developing that idea? You know, talk to us about LinkedIn, you know, why SaaS for LinkedIn? Uh, was it, you know, after you saw a potential problem or is it, you know, more like you had a vision at the start and then um, you executed on the vision? No, so, so these guys, uh, again, it's, it's Andreas' and Alex's baby. I cannot take credit for any of the ideation behind Shield. I can only help with the development once I join onwards. So the way they they found a loophole, or not loophole, uh, uh, a void um, that was worth exploring into was by consultancy. They were providing consultancy services to large corporations here in Denmark. And they were giving them like consultancy services regarding their landing pages, how to improve their SEO, SEM. And um, I I could go into detail, but I'm not entirely sure exactly what type of services they were providing at the moment. Um, But then they were talking to this large customer of theirs and they told him like, hey, do you know about any tools to measure um, content creation, engagement, impact, to have any analytics? Because LinkedIn, I mean, we're getting some reach and we have a team speaking on behalf of the company, but we have no way of measuring the impact. Um, so that's when they got it. They, they, they had the light bulb moment and then they were like, oh, maybe we can dig into this and see if there's something that we create, we can create. 
So that's when they got into, into prototyping. And, and again, it, the technical expertise, the UI, UX, the, the savviness, the strategic um, um, train of thought behind it. Andreas and Alex, the combination of both of them got them started with the first prototype, which they ended up selling to this large enterprise customer that they had. So in that later on um, transition into Andreas doing cold outreach to some um, influencers or some people that were highly active within the, the platform and trying to sell them on the idea of the need behind measuring their impact of content. For example, imagine you a year ago or when you were just start, you're, you're just starting, right? And, and you're creating a ton of content. It's very difficult mm -hmm. to keep track of all of the all of the stats of each one of your pieces of content that you're creating in LinkedIn. So they managed to find some very, very early stage adopters for, for this initial prototype. And that's where they started working and, and then developing further um, features and further, like listening to customers, right? I, I think that that's the most important um, thing you can do in a startup or any company, listen to your customers. If there's something, someone that's willing to take the risk and put the money in your product or your service, you need to listen to them. So later on, it's been, it's been gradually growing. So we get some hunches, we get some, some feedback, we have our intuition. So we talk to several customers and then we see what sort of like needs are more prevalent amongst them. And then according to that, we, we try to develop the new features based on that type of, of, of feedback that we're receiving. So uh, in the end, that's how the product has been evolving. Then I uh, met them um, mid-July and we've been growing a lot. I think it's, it's, it's been quite interesting to see and I've been helping like expand on that conversation, that communication with, with our customers. And that's how we have the, the model that, that I demoed to you the other day where we can actually see comparisons month to month and then have a quicker, more dynamic um, dashboard. Because in the initial days, of course, it was super slow. And while we managed to retrieve all of the information, people would lose patience. But then again, we have some very, very faithful fans that have stuck with us through since April. And, and, and they've been brave enough to trust what we're building. And we, we appreciate that so much. So I know that I'm all over the place. That's a, that's a basic trait of my DNA. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but more or less, it began with an enterprise customer. These guys thought that they could do it. They jumped into it. They had a very basic prototype and they were able to sell it. So that sums up basically your question in a very, very, very drastic manner. <laughs> right. So just so I understand you correctly. So... Um, Listening to your customers, yeah. finding out what their needs are, and uh, always doing it all the time, and then creating a solution around um, some of the problems that they're experiencing. Exactly. So it depends on the on, on your technical capabilities as well. So there's a there's something that I've really noticed since I joined this team, and it's that the level of technical expertise that these two guys have is very difficult to come by. You know. So many times say, oh, all I need is a, is a, is a developer. You know, people underestimate the, the, the technical savviness that goes into building a good SaaS product. So there's a level of, of expertise there that's very difficult to obtain. Right. So if, you, if you're looking to hire, so let's say, for example, um, someone who's listening to this um, is looking to hire someone with, deep technical expertise so i don't just want another developer you know i don't just want another employee i don't just want another partner um, they're looking for someone who can who are obviously much better at them in that technical expertise but also that they can value add to the team in a different way um what would be some of the things you look out for in that person since you know obviously if you don't have the expertise you may not know what you're looking for per se in in that domain so uh, would it be, you know, speaking to other experts in the field, you know, things like that. So what would be some of the things? Mm, first, the technical savviness behind this individual. So how good is he really or she, right? Like, uh, do they have the skill sets? And again, then it would be Alex in that specific or Andreas testing their technical um, knowledge or, or, or capacity. So th they must be tested before they join the team, first of all. 
And second of all, I think that, and it's very important, their ability to form part of the group. So as you said in the beginning, uh, we're basically the three musketeers, right? So we would be looking for a fourth musketeer. So uh, sure, you can have the technical savviness and knowledge, but we want someone who's a risk taker as well and who's willing to take chances. Um, because if you're very conservative, it's better for you to stay within a very established corporate environment, very bureaucratic, very predictable. Startups are just like, it, it, they're, they're all, how you call it, like a wild bronco. You know, you're just riding that <laughs> yeah. wild horse and you never know where that's going to end. That's why I'm here, because uh, otherwise I would get bored and I would just like quit immediately. I, I cannot deal with corporate environments. Um, so it's a mixture between their knowledge and, and how and how experts how, how how good they are at their craft. They don't need to be full stack developers. They can be a back end developer. They can be a front end developer. It depends what type of, of need we have at that specific time point. Or maybe a graphic designer, um, someone with a, a very very particular set of skills that that differentiate them from the crowd, but also the the, the culture. The company culture. We want to build. It's right now. It's very important. We only we're a very small team. We want someone that's brave and and that's a risk taker. Cool, awesome. So for some of our um, listeners who don't quite know what Shu does here, could mm-hmm. you could you tell us like to summarize what Shu does? Absolutely. So um, when I when I initially was briefed on on what these guys did, I was like LinkedIn. Uh, my God, I have LinkedIn. I hate social media. Like I honestly hate social media. If you look at my Facebook, my Facebook's, I haven't uploaded a picture like in 10 years. I don't have Instagram. I, I study um, a master in electronic business and I'm very aware and I hate exposing myself online. And here I am doing a freaking podcast, you know, <laughs> the contradictions <laughs> of life. But um, I met with Andreas and then I said, I need to be open-minded and I need to see what's the deal behind LinkedIn? What, what's, what's this platform about? And once I started having conversations and meeting, e-meeting certain people, I saw that it was different, right? So I wouldn't be having this conversation with you hadn't it been because of LinkedIn. Yeah. So this platform already filters out a lot of nastiness and, and bad feelings. And, and, and of course, there's a lot of fakeness as well, but in general, if you compare, you compare it to other social media networks, it, it goes beyond that. So what we saw is that a lot of members within the LinkedIn um, atmosphere network, um, LinkedIn has about 600 million um, users, which of them about 350 million are, are, are going online, checking for job postings, whatever. But the stats in the middle of it, this in the middle of this year it was something like one percent of the users were creating content at that moment so that's nothing wow so yeah. every piece of content that was created would get a huge and ridiculous amount of reach especially earlier this year things are changing you know it's getting more competitive and whatnot but Still, it's a it's a it's a huge opportunity for content creation. If you want to reach, if if it's done correctly, you will get uh, the proper re- retribution. You will get the proper exposure. So, you're not only getting a lot of reach, but you're reaching the you're reaching proper people. So, on average, people on LinkedIn have a higher salary range than people that use Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, because of the demographics, right? Um, you have people with way more higher education level. So for B2B purposes, it's a very strong platform. So people who know this and who want to promote their company, they want to promote or they're solopreneurs, um, creating pieces of content, is it costs nothing. And, and you're reaching a lot of people. So it's important for you to know what that content strategy is where, where that content strategy is heading towards so from a from a content creator's perspective you want to know what works and what doesn't right and you mm-hmm. want to you want to make sure that you're addressing the proper crowd so it, it, there's a lot of people who are already creating content and many times when they create so much content they don't even know what works and what doesn't what worked a month from now from now and what's going to work two days from now so you want to know what worked in the past so you can replicate it 
So basically, that's what Shield does. Shield um, is a dynamic dashboard that, that gets all of your stats from content and it visualizes them for you. They put it, it, it puts them in a, in a dynamic um, dashboard where you can see the specific piece of content that got the level of engagement that you were looking for or that, that, that actually resonated with your crowd appropriately. We have um, a really cool feature that is the demographics feature. So for example, um, I can have a post that reach, I only have like 700 followers, that's nothing. Um, but I've had posts that have gotten a 6,000 views or something like that. And I can go into the content overview section and see the demographics. So I can see people from um, companies like Ernst & Young, from Google, from LinkedIn, from whatever type of background. Um, then the, the different type of, of, of position within the, the companies that they held. So salesperson, founders, co-founders, and then the regions. So it, it allows me to know what sort of narrative resonates better with my crowd. And again, I'm not even close to being a power user. We have users who get 50,000 views on average per post, which is ridiculous. Wow. If, you, if you compare that to any other social media platform, I would 1000% prefer to do that on LinkedIn than in other, any other platform available to me or even doing it in the traditional way um, like TV advertisement, um, radio advertisement. That, I mean, that's just spray and, like, it's, it's spray and pray basically approach. You want a more sniper approach and that's what LinkedIn, sorry, that's what Shield allows you to do. It allows you to measure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean you, you look at the number of people who pull out their phones and just start scrolling through stuff when the TV commercials come up, you know, <laughs> you're watching TV and the ads come up and then you, you can clearly see, I, I, I think I'll borrow the, I borrow this from, uh, I think Gary Vaynerchuk actually, um, you know, just look at the, where people are paying attention to. Um, and I think you're, you're very right in the sense that, uh, I think it's a good thing that uh, you would be almost like what you said, the one percenters really of LinkedIn, um, just from the fact that you create content. Um, so can you tell us more about, you know, um, what's the one thing that cre creators on LinkedIn, content creators, need to keep at the back of their minds all the time when they are creating content on LinkedIn? Absolutely. Um, I would say there's two main things. There's two very large mistakes that I see that people are making. First, they think that they can advertise on LinkedIn like if it was, I don't know, the, the typical boring type of advertisement, you know? So... You see um, tire companies just putting pictures of car tires and then saying, this tire is better for X, Y, Z. So we're already programmed to ignore that type of content. We already see that. We skim through that. It's not interesting. It's not appealing. You don't want to engage with that. So it's very important to create content that e that's easily relatable to. And, and people connect with people, right? So if you're going to do some sort of marketing from your own personal brand, try to put a spice to it, voice your opinion, voice your, your area of expertise so people can actually say, okay, this guy isn't just copy pasting images from this thing or just putting cat videos here. He's actually providing value to me. I, it doesn't matter if it doesn't reach 10,000 viewers, but at least I know that this guy is a person. It's not a bot. It's not automated but it, it actually reflects your thoughts. So what I mean to say with all of this is go a little bit personal with your content creation. Don't be afraid to voice your opinion. I'm not saying, hey, I'm super depressed right now. No, no, I'm not saying go, go too deep. You can, but, but, but show a little bit of your personality in your posts. That, that's the mm -hmm. first thing. And second, some people just over post. They post way too much. <laughs> So <laughs> what they need to take into consideration that it's that this goes into peers, right? So you have first degree connections. So when you first make a post, it's exposed to your first degree connections. And then if a, lot, a certain amount of your first degree connections like it or engage with your post, it will be exposed to second degree connections. And if the second degree connections like it or, or res it resonates to them, and uh, then it will be exposed to third degree connections. And when it reaches uh, a certain level of third degree connections who are interested in your content, that's when you get virality. And wh that's when you actually get a lot of crazy engagement. So first personal content, then allow content to mature a little bit. Don't, don't suffocate the news, the, the feed with so much content. Um, because 
the feeling that I get is that when you continuously post, you don't allow other pieces of content to actually um, reach those other levels of connections, you know? And the more that you give it time to reach third degree connections, the more highly likely that it's going to, to, to become viral. So I would say that uh, I, I, would, I would recommend some people to post once every two days or, or maximum once a day. That's, that's how I would approach it. So it's almost like um, making wine. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. A, a little bit because you, you need to take into consideration that, that it's, you, you open Instagram, right? And the yeah. news feed or the feed has so many featured posts. So on Instagram, you see how many posts at the same time when you open it. I have no idea. I haven't used it. But let's say that it's probably 18, 20 posts, right? Yeah, yeah. If you go to, to, to LinkedIn, you're battling for 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 a, a, a shorter space, right? Of co- like your, your your post will get featured in a limited amount of space, so you're only seeing maximum yeah. three or four posts max. So you need to to allow there to be space for your new post for your old post to actually get uh, featured, because if there's too many people right now trying to compete on the same limited amount of space. Okay, cool. So. Um from what I understand from what you said, um, it's, it's therefore important to understand what your first degree connections like and what relates to them because that would determine whether or not it gets seen by the second and third and so on and so forth. Can you be strategic about the connections that you are accepting? Absolutely. You, you need to be strategic about who you're connecting with, especially right now that everyone's um, or not, not that much anymore, but a lot of people are automating connection requests, right? So what you see is that people's, they, 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 they request for a connection between you and I, and then the upcoming day, they just unfollow you. So it's just a vanity metric. It's like Instagram. You want to have more followers than the people you're following. And some people are taking the same approach to this. So you want to make sure that that the people that you're connecting with are actually going to read your content and they care about what you're saying. So you, many times I see customers who have 50,000 followers and their posts are getting 500 views. So that's useless. Why do you want 50,000 followers if they're not if they're not even going to get one percent of, of of out of, of views compared to the amount of followers that they have? In my case, I, I don't know. I'm not a good poster, but I know that I have a good ratio. So I have. 700 followers, but I get on average 1,200 views. So uh, that, that's a basic, very simple math that is showing me that I'm, I'm extending my network's reach, you know? So in, with regards to your question, absolutely be, be selective of whom you're, you're connecting with. And as a side note, that's why a lot of people are using engagement pods as well. They're, they're not bad. I wouldn't say that engagement pods are bad. It's, it's, it's a way to promote your content really quickly because you're liking among similar-minded peers your own content. So that sort of boosts it, the little pieces of content that you're creating. So they share, there, there's probably 20 people, five people, 10 people in Slack groups or WhatsApp groups. So every time that you post, um, they share the content there. They say, hey, I just made a post. Could you please, um, if you find it appealing to you, please press like. Because, of course, many times that post is not featured or that person is not on LinkedIn. So if you're part of a pod, they all help themselves. I'm not part of part of any pod. I just have a small pod, which is Andreas, Alex, and myself. So between the SHIELD members, we help each other, which makes sense. But we see a lot of people using these types of strategies to, to make their content get some more exposure. Right. So the, the, the repercussions of making a, co- a connection with someone is that um, that person's first degree connections become your second, second right? And exactly. So and so forth. So, um, so then therefore it's important. I mean, I've kind of tried to figure it out myself. Like um, when I look at the person's um, connections, before deciding whether I want to accept that person or, or reach out, I'm looking at also who is that person connected to as well. Because um, wouldn't it be bad like if you just accepted a connection request with someone who just connects with everybody? You know, because um, from the way I understand it is that like LinkedIn is kind of like a pawn, like a miniature pawn where um, 
it's not like Instagram where it's fully accessible to every member of the public, but it's really, you know, your first, second, third degree. And then unless it gets viral, then a, a lot more beyond that. So, so I always found that, you know, at least for my own post, um, if I'm a lot connected with people from the States, for example, mm-hmm. then my content gets seen a lot more in the States. Uh, but if I want to reach someone in like Egypt, for example, uh, it's nearly impossible for me to do that. So, you know, like, um, can you talk to, us, talk to us about that and um, how would you think about co- creating content from that angle? Uh, totally. Um, there's, there's two sides to it. So in Shield, we have a SaaS, we have global customers. For us, the, the pieces of content, it's, it's not convenient to only reach people in Denmark. So we need to be very strategic about the hour that we're posting. So in my case, I try to post around 11 a.m. Copenhagen time. That could be 6 a.m. in some regions in the Americas, um, sometimes 5 a.m. So I'm attacking both crowds. I'm getting a little bit of boost from my, my followers here in Denmark, my, my, image, my close connections, my, my friends from here who are, always have my back. But also I'm getting the people who are waking up in countries like Colombia, where I'm from, or, or, or customers from the U.S. So I really want to reach um, the U.S. market because, first of all, they're good customers. They don't try to bargain as much. And they have, of course, like a larger spending capacity than most places, um, all other countries. So, for example, a person from Colombia, when I tell them that my product is $10 or $30 a month, they probably faint because they, for them it's a lot of money. Whilst a person from Singapore, maybe it's not going to be as expensive or a person from the States, it's not going to be as expensive. So as you said, if you want to, you need to know which type of public or, or crowd you want to reach and that, and you need to be selective of your first degree connections, depending on wh- which demographics you want to talk to. So in that case, it's absolutely true. And that will open doors to second degree and third degree connections in those regions. Awesome. Um, so I'm going to segue into hashtags. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I know it's a big thing on Instagram because uh, I used to be on it a lot in the past. Yep. And, you know, they have these things where, you know, you want to hide your hashtags in your comment section. You know, you have like, I think 25 to 30, the maximum. And people, you will, you go online to have this, those blogs or websites where you could copy paste, you know, um, hashtags of a certain category and then it gets seen on, you know, Instagram more likely. But, um, that hasn't been working in uh, now today if you don't have already established following. But um, what I noticed personally for me at least is that um, it seems to be working fairly well f- uh, on LinkedIn. Like um, how does how do hashtags work? Because, you know, on Instagram, if you follow a hashtag, um, it comes up organically on your feed sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, the image comes up uh, of the top performing, you know, image or images on, on a particular hashtag you follow. Uh, but on LinkedIn, I... I don't think I remember seeing any top posts from a particular hashtag that I follow unless I click on that hashtag itself and I deliberately look through the the feed of it. So could you talk to us about that, you know, uh what how does it work, you know? Um does does even trending on hashtags work? I mean, uh luckily or fortunately I think over the past couple of weeks I kind of managed to um trend on certain hashtags as well. Um, but I'm not sure, you know, I couldn't quite figure out what the impact of those were. And I think that a lot of our listeners would be would be curious to know more about that as well. Uh, absolutely. I, I feel that LinkedIn is still, uh, it's sort of testing the, the hashtags. I, and I agree with you. I, I, I also follow a couple. I don't follow that many hashtags. And I don't get that content shown like on my face um, constantly. I think... Um, when I look at my feed, it's it's more like, oh, which people's posts have I liked recently? So the 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 feed will expose me to those people's content mostly. Yeah. And and yes, uh, I agree. Uh, the, the the trending mark after two days, three days, I think it's good just to keep um, yourself on on the on top of mind. So it's strange because I, 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 many times when I get trending, I immediately start getting inboxes from friends back home. Like, Hey, so what are you up to? What are you working? Like people that I haven't spoken with for seven years, you know? Um, and so I would definitely say, I, I, I honestly have no clue where LinkedIn wants, wants to take um, hashtags, but I would definitely use it and be, and be very strategic about which types of hashtags you're using. I generally try to use personal branding, marketing 
and startups because it's the topics that I like to talk about. And and for sure, I would rather have some a little mention saying your post about XYZ is trending on this hashtag than not having it. Because it again, it just um, gives you this sort of like status and it, and, and it puts you on the top of mind of your followers. Cool, cool. Um, what about the style and type of content on LinkedIn? So, you know, um, there's always this narrative of like video is king, video is king, video is king. Um, is that particularly true on LinkedIn or, you know, could you do variations of it? And uh, like what you say, uh, are you agnostic towards it um, or just purely through testing, you know? What does my followers, what does my potential customers actually like? And then um, strategize and plan and uh, create content around it. It, it. it depends. Some For some people, it works very well. For some people, it doesn't work that well. Um, you need to take into consideration that people that are looking into LinkedIn generally are not spending as much time on the platform as they are probably on Instagram or on Facebook. They're just skimming through it. They're just... You know, you wanna you wanna be very concise with the type of content that you're putting out there. So what I've seen is that if you're going to create video, more than three minutes is way too much. But it depends as well on the type of content. So we have Mark Gaysforst's um, um, post about not having friends that just became super trendy, and it was like a seven-minute video. So then again, it depends on the type of content. This was a very personal type of content, very well crafted. And, and it was like easy to relate to. And, and, and it got a million views in a month. That, that, wow. that for wow. LinkedIn is crazy, right? And Mark, I, I'm not sure how many followers he has, but I think it's 20,000. But I, I'm just throwing numbers out there. I, I would have to mm-hmm. double check. Um, so if you're going to do it, try to do it correctly. And never forget subtitles because people are gazing through LinkedIn probably from their desktops at work and they're not listening to to the content. So I think that you need to be able to communicate with who is watching your video regardless. Um, So the subtitles, if you're going to create videos, are very important. I would start with short videos. And it's not as evident that that video is king on Instagram. Not at all. I think that simple text posts work very very well um so look one uh, we are running out of time but mm-hmm. just have a couple of last burning questions sure. i want to ask you um so if if you had to do something in your business differently um what would you change um it depends on the business of course but in my case i i i've, I've asked myself that question several times so in my family's company, for example, um, um, we, we sell commodities, we sell food to supermarket chains. So how can we reinvent ourselves? What can we do? So it's about testing continuously. So if we can test a new product, do it um, and do it fast. I agree very much with, with testing, testing, testing and, and, and exposing new features, new products to new segments of, of, of clients. So in, in Shield, for example, we love to test new features and just be brave. You know, throw them out there and then deal with the customer's repercussions later on and, and mm-hmm. see it, it's feedback. Feedback is gold for growth. So definitely testing new things, testing. If you have a hunch, try it out. Don't don't go. Don't wait too long. Don't plan for too long. Just test and test quickly. One other question, like uh, what are three, you know, action steps or takeaways that uh, our listeners can that you can give our listeners, you know, for for LinkedIn particular or content? For content creation on LinkedIn, first of all, start posting. Just post. It doesn't matter. Just if, <laughs> if it's three words, post and try it out. Uh, uh, second, if no one watches your content, that's okay. No one knows that you're sucking at it. <laughs> so, you know, like it, it's, it's, a, it's a paradox because you, you, you get, your ego gets hurt, gets hurt when you don't get enough views, but in the end, it doesn't matter because no one saw it. So it's it, so the first post. It doesn't matter what, just post. Second, if no one is watching it, who cares? Because no one knows, <laughs> right? And third, don't copy for the love of God. Don't don't. If you're gonna if you're gonna paraphrase someone or some someone else's ideas, give them credit. Um, because sometimes we lack our own content, and 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 but give them recognition for their thoughts and where you heard it from. 
There's nothing worse than someone who takes credit for something that they haven't thought of before. So start posting, right? It doesn't matter what it is. Don't worry if no one is watching, keep, keep doing it until someone does. And third, give recognition and credit to those, I, those who have um, built the ideas that you're growing with and that you're, that you're helping um, create content from. Um, those would be my three, three pointers. Awesome. So um, last question, mm -hmm. how can people get in contact with Shu or yourself? I mean, you, you can look for me. Um, I, you can probably attach the link to my LinkedIn profile and just send me a message. Always send messages. I think it's very rude when you try to connect without any message or, hey, where, how did you find me? It, it gives a little, a, a small personal touch. And reach out. I love to get connections. I don't care about followers. Just connect so we can have um, a, a, a nice conversation going as we did ourselves. So you can feel, feel free to share my, my link through there and Shield Intelligence on, on, on LinkedIn. You can find us there. We're posting interesting stuff and we're growing and we're creating cool new features every day. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time, Juan. <laughs> thank it's you as well. Wonderful, Yo. wonderful, insightful um, look into LinkedIn as well and um, content creation on the platform. No, this was awesome. Thank you so much, man, for your time and keep up the good work. I know you're putting a lot of effort into this and I hope that you excel and that we get to talk in the future when you're even larger than this and when we're larger as well. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome to come back anytime. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Entrepreneur's Tribe podcast. Head over to video.sell.com B-I-D-E-O-T-H-A-T-S-E-L-L.com to download your free report on 8 simple ways to grow your business using video and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you are listening on. And once again, I'm Joel Ong and I want to appreciate you for listening in. And please leave us a review because you have a unique story and we want to hear it. Talk to you soon.